Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. Each year in its September-October issue, American Libraries presents its Library Design Showcase, a collection of some of the most exciting, new, and renovated libraries to open in the past year. I personally select the libraries from a pool of submissions for each showcase, and I can say with confidence that this year's is very special. In particular, because it features building projects completed during the pandemic. Despite libraries being temporarily closed or operating at reduced hours because of COVID-19 restrictions, beautiful new facilities and innovatively renovated spaces continue to open to the public. True tales of resiliency, each and every one of them. This month, on Call Number with American Libraries, we look at two buildings featured in the magazine's 2021 Library Design Showcase. First, I speak with Heather Hart, manager of Salt Lake City Public Library's Sprague Branch, about the renovations that were done on the library after a devastating flood. Followed by a conversation with Sean No from DLR Group, who's a senior project manager on the Cybrarium, a new high-tech library in Homestead, Florida. But first, a word from a sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com DISC ALA, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com DISC ALA, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. After a flood in 2017 damaged Salt Lake City Public Library's Sprague Branch and destroyed massive amounts of library material, the space, first built in 1928, was reborn with a new interior optimized for community needs. I spoke with branch manager Heather Hart about the renovation project and how libraries can bounce back after a devastating natural disaster. Uh, now, can you tell our listeners a bit more about this flood in 2017? It sounds like, I mean, it just absolutely devastated the library. Yeah, so it, uh, like you said, was in July um, of 2017, and it was a freak summer storm that caused flash floods in our neighborhood. Um, so the library itself had five and a half feet of water in the lower level, um, and it was just as you can imagine, like everything that it touched was destroyed. Oh, wow. Um, was, were there any other buildings and, and like surrounding buildings affected besides the library? There were. Um, so family homes in the neighborhood, uh, businesses and schools were also affected. Um, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we had another summer storm and whenever we hear that, our hearts kind of sink and we're like, oh no, how's the library? 
Oh, um, imagine. And we were okay this time, but the school got hit again. So it's, it's oh, no. uh, sadly an occurrence that's happening more and more. Oh, no. Um, now, you, you mentioned just a little bit of it briefly, but um, can we talk a bit more about how extensive that damage was besides the fire? I mean, I imagine with five feet of water, um, so many materials and, and other things must have been destroyed. Yeah, so everything was lost. So this includes all of the the books um, and movies, whatever else may have been on our, like, shelves, things like supplies and equipment, um, the lower level at the time had our computer stations, so all of the computers that people would come in and use. Um, our adult nonfiction collection was down there, and all of our children's and teen materials were downstairs, too. Um, the staff work area was downstairs, so we have some longtime staff, and they lost you know, anything that may have been set on their desk or in their work area. Um, and then the cleanup included things like removing the drywall and the carpeting and just everything had to come out. Oh, wow. And um, you worked with, with ArchNexus, the, the architecture group ArchNexus on this. What was the, the, renovate, the planning process like for this renovation? Um, how did you, I guess, how did you determine what you wanted to update and were there any elements in the building that you decided to abandon? Yeah, so um, our initial talks with ArchNexus, and I believe there was a bid process to even select them as our mm -hmm. architect. Um, so we talked about things like funding. We talked about the current layout of the building and possibly expanding the current footprint. Um, and then we also talked a lot about how to maximize the existing space. Um, and that is what we ended up going with. We didn't add any more square footage to our building. Um, the building was first opened in 1928. Um, so we knew that things, some of the basic things like plumbing and electricity were overdue for updates. Mm -hmm. um, so some of those things were, you know, you didn't even have to think about because of course we're going to update things like that. Um, and I was intrigued by your um, question about what we abandoned. I couldn't think of anything in particular that we, you know, were excited about and had to let go. Um, so many of the changes and things that happened were mandatory in order for us to just meet building codes um, because, again, the building was so old. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... Okay. And um, did you get input from the community as well um, on some of the um, uh, the renovations? Um... Yeah, we did. So, um, like the library, we had a team of people that were, you know, very involved with the architect and the design team. There were regular meetings where we would review their proposals and any changes or updates that were made. Um, and what I thought was great about that process was that it really included a wide variety of people. So I was on that group, and as the manager, I'm very tied to kind of our day-to-day -day happenings in the building. But then we also had our executive director who, you know, looks at things from more of a uh, futuristic viewpoint, you know, making sure that the building is going to meet 
the library's goals in the future. And then along with that, we had community members that were included on those, those meetings. Um, and then not to be discounted is we also had full-day workshops with the current staff here at the branch. Um, and then we had multiple community meetings that we held you know, open to the public where the designer and the architects were there and people could give feedback on the plans that we presented. Um, and we also shared them with our local community council group. So we did try to make sure it wasn't just one person's idea, that it really did go through a lot of people and a lot of um, folks got to see it before we made any changes. And how long did that entire process take? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I came into the project um, a little after it had already started, and then that whole planning process, I want to say, took at least a year, um, getting the funding and, and making sure we had the right people working on all of the, the issues that came up. Oh, great. And when, was the, when, when did the library finally open, did the newly renovated library open? So we opened this year in May, um, May 3rd. Uh, COVID was an interesting little hiccup in the renovation plans. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, just delays that we, we didn't really expect um, and getting supplies and everything. So the actual renovation work with the construction team took just over two years. Oh, wow. And um, so now it, it is open, and it's, it's open to the public. What's, what can visitors and patrons find in this new space of yours? Yeah, so um, on our main floor, so the building is a Tudor style, um, and we tried to stay very true to what it may have looked like in that time period and in that style. So upstairs we have lots of places to sit that are comfortable. We have study tables, um, seating arranged for individuals and for groups. Um, the library, before um, the flood, we had a, a separate reading room, um, and we transformed that space into a creative lab. Um, we really wanted to make it more active and a place where where you could do things as opposed to just sitting and reading. Um, and downstairs, we um, everything is a little bit more modern. So upstairs is traditional, and then downstairs, as you move into the children's area and the teen area, they're very bright and colorful um, with lots of things that are appealing for uh, those age groups, kids and teens. Um, our meeting room was made a lot more flexible. Um, it has a, a back wall that's made of glass and it's movable, so it can accommodate different sized groups. Um, and then we also added small study rooms that have already proved very popular. Um, People just need a place to come and work on their own device, um, not necessarily the, the ones that we provide. Great. And um, how's the, um, the response been from the uh, community? It has been very positive. Um, 
folks are pleased with the way we were able to stay true to the style of the building. Um, one thing that was fun from our design team is that we have some nods to the community. Uh, so the neighborhood here is called Sugar House. They grew sugar beets at one time. So we have a sugar beet railing and some decorative like floor rugs um, that include sugar beets. Um, so it's really fun to, to say, you know, have people come in and see, oh, I recognize that sign. I recognize mm -hmm. this because they've seen it other places in the neighborhood. Great. And now you've, there's been some months since your opening and you're, you're removed from the, the entire renovation process. What, in retrospect, what challenges did you face during that whole renovation process? And what did you learn? What did you and the library learn from it? Yeah, so I, I think our challenges were kind of common as far as like the construction goes. Um, when you tear things out of an old building, you go, oh, we didn't know that that's how <laughs> something was set up. But we did find some interesting things. So the, the upstairs in our building had these old built-in library shelves. So when they tore those out, we found some really cool old books and even an old library card that had been lost behind those shelves. So uh -huh. we're talking 60, 70 years old. Um, and so that was kind of an, a neat way to go, oh, this was a library space and it, that's what it's going to be used for. And we can see that history. Um, and I think what we learned is having the structure of a great team really made a difference. Um, the construction crew was in constant communication with the architect and, and help just solve problems as they came up. Now, I think um, many of our listeners might, unfortunately, might be finding themselves in a similar situation that you were in 2017, maybe um, experiencing flooding or any type of natural disaster um, really impacting their library. Do you have any tips or words of advice for them moving forward, and like, what should they do post-disaster? Yeah, so the, the first thing that I could think of was to know that it is going to take time. Um, as much as it would be nice to snap your fingers and have your library back in perfect condition, it takes time. Um, so going into the process knowing that it's not going to be just an easy fix um, helps kind of wrap your mind around the whole process. Um, having a supportive community made a huge difference here for our library. Um, we were fortunate to be able to find a temporary home for our library. So a, about a block away, we moved into a former firehouse and we created a firehouse express where we were still able to offer some services to the community um, during the time that our real building was closed. Um, another maybe piece of advice is that you've got to become an expert at managing change. Um, it's something that everyone has to deal with, I mean, whether you're facing a natural disaster or not, but having um, our staff be adaptable and able to work at other locations and learn how other people do things and also just be those 
hands where they're needed. So I can't tell you how many boxes of books that we moved and kind of the logistics of moving in and out of a library. Um, and, and that was a long change process. So these changes were happening during these whole last four years. Um, and lastly, um, I think one of the, the things that was helpful for us is that our team, so the architect and the designers and the construction folks, um, they were all very centered around um, human design. So you're planning our, your library space for the people who will use them. Um, and that's been really fun to see, and I think that's why we've had people pleased with the changes that we made is because we did do that with everybody in mind. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com DISC ALA, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. The Cybrarium in Homestead, Florida is a striking building with a futuristic facade that sets the stage for the experiences available to visitors inside the building. Designed to break the mold of traditional learning, it offers a virtual reality space, makerspace, sewing machines, 3D printing services, and steampunk elements that nod to forward-thinking innovation from the past. I spoke with Sean No, Senior Project Manager from DLR Group, the architecture firm behind the Cybrarium, about the building and its wonders. Now, I want to talk a bit about DLR Group and um, its work with uh, libraries. What other libraries has um, DLR uh, worked on before? Uh, yeah, so DLR Group is an integrated design firm uh, with multiple disciplines. Uh, including architecture, interiors, and various engineering services. Um, DR Group is one of the top K-12 design firm in the country. So library design uh, is an integral part of our K-12 and higher education studios. Uh, so we've designed libraries across the country from uh, the Riverside County Meek Valley Library in California to the Dene uh, Navajo College Library in Arizona uh, Henry Riddle uh, University in Arizona, uh, multiple uh, libraries in the city of Minneapolis, and of course, the Cybrarium in, in Florida. Uh, but what's unique about this project is that it's not a traditional library. Uh, so because of this, uh, our mixed-use design experience at DLR Group uh, was really a great fit uh, for this type of project. Absolutely. And uh, does, does DLR Group, um, is there like an overarching kind of library design philosophy that, that the group adheres to? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, DLL Group approaches every project uh, regardless of scale and, and type uh, with a fundamental design philosophy, and, and that is to uh, elevate the human experience through design. Uh, on this particular project, um, we have to understand, uh, like many uh, projects, uh, the client of a project is not necessarily the end user. Uh, so while we need to fulfill uh, our obligations to the client on budget, schedule, program, et cetera, all the number of uh, those typical project, project criteria, uh, we have to acknowledge that the end user isn't concerned or even aware of those criteria. Uh, so ultimately, whatever we design needs to speak to the end user. Um, and in this case, uh, it's the community of the city homestead. So this library uh, serves that community, uh, and we have to remember that throughout the design process. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, it's uh, it's not a traditional library. This uh, the Homestead Librarian. It's it's unlike really any library I've seen in the, the ten years or so that I've been doing the American Libraries Library Design Showcase. Uh, it is a very unique tech-driven space. Um, what led the city to want to create a library such as this, as opposed to like say a traditional library? Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Phil. Um, so the city of Homestead uh, uh, has had an old library, and they recognize the need for a new library um, to bring the city and, and the downtown area um, to the current times. Um, city of Homestead, as part of the revitalization efforts of downtown, uh, the cyberarium is just one part of this mixed-use development uh, that includes a movie theater, retail space, uh, public parking garage that serves the city of Homestead Park and Ride, uh, downtown transit station, and public open space. So uh, the city recognized that it needs a new library with new tools, new technology uh, that is necessary for education uh, as well as entertainment uh, that can propel itself uh, and specifically propel the community into the 21st century. Um, the, the, the spaces in the Cyberian building itself uh, allows for further growth, uh, which may include future retail, dining experiences, um, as well as its educational opportunities for the community uh, and, and future growth of the library itself. Um, so that's what makes this uh, Cyberium uh, so unique in that it's a mixed-use project that is unlike any other traditional single-use library. Mm -hmm. And what was the the creation process like? I'd like to hear a bit more about that. What um, what are the what ideas did the city of Homestead bring to DLR? Like, what did they want, and what did you did DLR bring to the project um, on your end? Like, I guess I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about the uh, the collaboration process. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. Uh, uh, again, this, the city had this vision of a new library. So um, uh, the city actually partnered with Landmark Entertainment Group uh, very early on to conceptualize what this 21st century library could look like. Um, and at which point DLR Group joined that design team uh, very early on, like I said, in the project, in the conceptual phase. And, and collectively, uh, we began the design process. Um, coming up with ideas on what this library could be uh, with the Landmark Entertainment Group. Uh, from there, DLR Group continued and, and took on that conceptual design uh, uh, um, ideas and take it through the various design phases uh, to make it reality. Um, 
and we work with a lot of partners, uh, including obviously the city, uh, library systems and services, um, ML3 media, and Axiom Construction. Uh, DLL Group worked through various design options to meet um, the, the budget constraints. Uh, and like any other project, budget is, is not limitless, right? So uh, we had to find creative ways to achieve the design intent and still bring this project to life and still maintain uh, the appropriate component, components of a library uh, that will ultimately benefit the people of the community. Um, that involved a lot of design and redesign and rethinking of ways uh, to, accomplish this, uh, to accomplish some of the design features and stay within budget. Um, so we work with Axiom uh, Construction on exploring more cost-effective structural systems. For example, steel versus concrete. Um, the other group designed the facade uh, using tilt-up concrete panels with uh, simple recess patterns and angled light fixtures to maintain some of the original design intent, but at a great cost savings. Um, and of course, uh, we work closely with the city staff to ensure the program is maintained. And uh, at the same time, again, working uh, with um, Axiom Construction to find creative ways to save construction costs so that we can deliver a project uh, that we all can be proud of. Absolutely. Um, are there any aspects of the building itself that um, are your particular favorite or your, or your particular favorite to work on? I know I have mine that after having um, <laughs> looked at the, at the library for a couple months now, and I'd just like to know um, from your end, um, what's, um, what are your favorite parts of the building? Uh, yeah, wow, that's a, that's a tough one because uh, there's so many great features, as you know, about the cyberarium uh, from the facade, uh, exterior facade, very simple yet very unique and, and distinctive in its own way. Uh, the virtual reality of VR Cube is a lot of fun for adults and children to immerse themselves in the virtual world and experience that, that technology, and most of them for the very first time. Um, the steampunk theme on the second floor is really fun to walk around in and just just to see. Um, but I guess my two favorite features of, of the Cyberian would have to be the children's space and makerspace. Um, curiosity and the desire to learn form the basis and foundation in children. Um, so being able to design those spaces that allows them to explore, to read, to imagine, reimagine, and, and to play make-believe, uh, but at the same time, uh, the makerspace allows the, them a space to create uh, using 3D printers and, and various arts and crafts and hands-on opportunities, um, and to me, uh, is what makes this so special and rewarding. So. I would say the uh, children's space and makerspace would be my favorite space. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned the, uh, the the steampunk elements on the second floor. Um, those those uh, particularly uh, stuck out to me as being really fascinating because um, you have this very modern high tech building, but you have these nods to history with the, you know the steampunk steampunk floor, and you have the 1896 old Chandler and Price letterpress. Uh, why was it important to incorporate those elements into this very this historical older elements into this very modern building? Yeah, the uh, the steampunk idea uh, we thought was uh, very clever. Um, that idea actually came uh, very early on in early conceptual ideas uh, from Landmark Entertainment Group, uh, which the city and DLR group thought fits perfectly with the, the cyberarium and, and, and its, its goals. Uh, mixing science fiction with technology and the 19th century industrial machinery and innovativeness 
uh, of that of that movement um, is a perfect fit for this project. Um, but the execution, I, I, I have to credit uh, ML3 Media. Um, they did a phenomenal job with everything from the smallest details in the furniture to a functioning clock on the side of the elevator shaft uh, to light fixtures. And as you mentioned, the antique printing press, which is quite a heavy piece there. Um, but so yeah, it was a tremendous team effort to pull this off. And just the fact that the steampunk and, and, and the innovativeness of, of the whole idea um, and technology kind of comes uh, all together was, um, we thought it was a great fit. Absolutely. It looks wonderful. Um, what has the, uh, the community's response been to the Cyberarium? Um, so the city uh, provided uh, us uh, feedback um, based on their uh, receiving comments from the, the community. And it was very well received with lots of excitement um, with the general consensus. Uh, but from my personal experience, um, during the construction and at the grand opening ceremony, uh, I had the opportunity to talk with lots of the residences uh, of Homestead, and uh, their reactions were all positive. Um, very excited. Um, they're all really looking forward to experiencing this for the very first time, all these new technology. Um, and I was told that they had several thousand people sign up for library membership even before it was open. So that was a very positive, uh, positive note. Um, and I get a little bit of guilty pleasure reading Google reviews and, uh, and various uh, neighborhood social media platforms. And, and, and the comments there were all overwhelmingly positive. So, so I think that was the most important thing and, and, and having that positive reaction from the community that I think that lends itself to thinking that this is a, a project that is very successful because the user are ultimately happy and, and excited about it. Now, do you, Sean, have any words of advice for any of our listeners, any libraries, librarians out there who might be in the beginning stages of their own library design project? I know um, many of our listeners and readers turn to our library design showcase issue to get ideas. Do you have any like tips or words of advice for them? Like, where's where's a good place for them to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think the first thing they need to do is uh, hire DR group. Uh, I'm <laughs> just kidding, uh, but all kidding aside. Um, I think the number one thing that they uh, that will make a project, any project, whether it's a library, uh, school, mixed-use retail, uh, multifamily housing, entertainment, anything like that, um, and that is to find partners early uh, to form a good team. Um, anyone can have a vision for a project, um, but that vision isn't going to be a, a reality, or at least not a successful reality, uh, unless they have a good team as a foundation to work with uh, along the entire process. It, it sounds quite simple, uh, you know, but the, the, the right group of people, and I'm not just talking about experience and talents, there are lots of that around, uh, but I'm talking about partners who share in, this, in the vision and, and work towards the same common goal uh, for a successful project. Um, and, and particularly for a project such as the Cybrarium, uh, a good technology team is important too. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why, when you go to geico.com D-I-S-C ALA, call 1-800-368-2734, 
or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention that you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO can help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. Many thanks to Heather Hart and Sean Noe for talking library architecture and design with us. Join us next month for our always incredible Halloween episode. What ghoulish tales will we uncover this year? Tune in and find out. Do you have feedback regarding one of our segments? Something you're curious about or thoughts on a topic of interest in the library community that you'd like to see us cover here on Call Number? Well, we want to hear from you. New to Call Number, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about our shows and more with your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that might be featured in a future episode. That's 312-857-6761. Please, we want to hear from each and every one of you. As always, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. (music) 